Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, Pastor Appreciation Month is always weird for me because it's like it's hard to be appreciated. You know, I don't know. So if you maybe struggle with the same thing, get in that. So I'll just say this. The, the greatest thing you could do for us is pray for us. Let's pray for us. That's the best way you can appreciate us. Let's just pray for us because that's what we need more than anything is your prayers um, to know Jesus better, to lead better, to be close to Jesus, to love like him. Pray those things for us, and um, that will mean more than anything. And I, I also want to say this, that we appreciate all of you. We appreciate all of you. So many people who serve in the church and, and make the, the church work and run. It's just a wonderful thing to be part of this church family. So I love it. Well, we're continuing our Bible study today in the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 John. We'll be in chapter 5, reading in verses 1 through 5. And we always study the Bible every week. It's something that we've done since the church was founded. We open up the Bible and we study it together. And since we've been back in a book, some of you have mentioned how much you love that, that we go through a book of the Bible and pick up where we left off last week. And, and some of you love that because you like to read ahead. And I hope you're reading ahead. I know some of you are, but I also know this, that some of you don't even read your Bible. Um, and so I don't say that to be like, you need to be the, read the Bible or you're not a Christian. But I say that to say to read your Bible is a very important thing for your spiritual growth. It's a very important part of your journey as a Christian. The most influential thing in my life as a disciple of Jesus has been to open up the Bible and read it. And I know that many of you do read your Bible, but some of you who do read your Bible don't really study the Bible. You just read it. Maybe it's just a checking of the box in the morning. Maybe it's just a passage on a little devotional that you have on your phone. And I'll say this too, that while reading the Bible is good and important and helpful, what really helps us is to study the Bible. So we understand what it says. We understand what it means. So we understand who Jesus is to us through the pages of the Bible. And I'll say this, I know some of you bring your Bibles to church, which is awesome. It's really great. It used to be in the days, early days of Renaissance, a whole bunch of people brought their Bibles to church. With them. We don't see that as much anymore. Maybe it's a COVID thing, like one last thing to have to touch <laughs> is a thing. And maybe it's because your Bible's on your phone, and that's totally fine. I'm a paper Bible guy, but you know what's awesome is to see, look around the room and see when we're reading the Bible together, people looking into it. I have a friend who always brings his Bible, and as I'm reading, he's doing this with his eyes over his glasses looking at me, checking what I'm saying. Do you know the words we put on the screen are typed in by someone? So what if they just type something crazy in there? <laughs> what if I told them to type something crazy in there? You want to be able to follow along and know that what we're talking about is actually from the Bible. So I say all that to say the Bible's really important. Read it, 
study it, bring it to church with you, and let's, let's look into it together. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we will have the words on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible because you don't own a Bible, I'll give you one, so come see me after the service at the welcome station. But 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, it says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not that hard. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith that has overcome the world. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you pray with me before we go forward? Lord, we are so thankful that we have the gift of the Bible to look into, to study, to use it as a guide for understanding who you are and what you want us to know about yourself. I pray in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to know more about Jesus today. Lord, grow our faith in the Son of God so that we can say we've overcome the world like he has. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's, Kim mentioned my wonderful wife, Megan, who also works here at the church and who is an angel. And I don't just say that to get brownie points because she's probably not listening to this right now, but she is an angel. And there's not a whole lot of times, and maybe this is why I think she's an angel, that she corrects me. And I don't know if it's because she's such an angel and isn't mean and, and doesn't know how to be too pushy or if it's because I'm usually right. I'm not sure which one it is. It's probably the last one. It's probably that I'm usually right, so she doesn't correct me often. But there are a few things that she will bring up to me often as a matter of correction. Like she frequently tells me that I need to be drinking more water, to which I reply I get about eight cups of coffee a day, which is only water with some beans in it. So that should be good enough. There are times where she will remind me that it, I would feel so much better if I just ate different things, to which I don't talk to her the rest of the day whenever that happens. And most of the time, like she's not the type of person who will like pick out clothes for me and be like, you're wearing this today. Like that doesn't usually happen. And most of the time she never really says to me, Joe, you shouldn't wear that out today. I, I, I haven't gotten that much. In fact, she never says that. If there's anything I'm wearing that she wants to correct me on, she usually is like, oh, that color. Oh. <laughs> so then I know, like maybe I should change this shirt or or put on some different pants. She usually doesn't correct me. She's never really said, no, you can't wear that out, except for one article of clothing. So uh, sometime last year, she ordered a pair of leggings in the mail that were too big for her. And she was like, gosh, I, I don't want to send these back because they were cheap, and there's just so much of a hassle to, to send something back. You know how it goes. So it's like, I'll just cut my loss and do something with it. Maybe I'll give it away. But to give away, like, clothes if you're a lady to a friend and be like these are too big for me I think they would fit you like you can't really do that so she just had them and then she finally found someone that those leggings would fit and they are the most comfortable pair of pants I've ever put 
on. Guys, I'm telling you, if you've never done it, it's like wearing no pants at all. It's amazing. And I want to wear them all the time. And I wear them around the house all the time. And if we have company coming over, she tells me that I shouldn't be doing that. I should put on actual pants because apparently leggings are not pants. And if I get ready to step out the door and go somewhere, which ain't no shame in my game. I'm like, I'm about to go to Walmart and blend in. (laughs) She will correct me. No, Joe, you cannot wear those leggings in public. And if you decide to go out, I'll just take the other car. (laughs) I don't want to be with you. She has to correct me on that because what I'm doing in that moment, while to me it seems like a really great idea for her and everyone else, it is not such a good idea. In fact, she knows better in that moment that I should not be wearing leggings out in public. And oftentimes we wonder why the Bible is so full of correcting moments. Like why, why so often do we have to be corrected and redirected throughout the Bible? It seems like the Bible is full of, hey, you should do this, but you shouldn't do that. Hey, you need to be living this way. Or hey, you're going off track. We need to redirect you or correct you. Well, so often, so many of us are trying to wear leggings out in public, and Jesus is trying to say through the Bible, don't wear that. You'll look so stupid. The Bible has to correct us in in so many ways and in so many areas of our lives because while once we believe in Jesus and we have his spirit living within us and, and he will help us to follow him, there are in this world opposing forces that would keep us from following him. There are opposing forces to our spiritual growth that would keep us from becoming more like Jesus, which the Bible says in Romans 8 is God's destiny for us, that we would become like Jesus. And so there are opposing forces spiritually to keep us from our destiny of becoming like Jesus. And the Bible refers to three of them, not all together in one verse, but we're able to to take them from different verses in the New Testament, and we learned that the three opposing forces, one is internal, two are external. The internal one is what we call the flesh. It's what the Bible refers to it as, the flesh. It literally just means, that word flesh literally just means skin or meat. Your human body, our body is opposed to us following Jesus. Now, this seems like a really weird concept, doesn't it? But it makes a whole lot of sense when you consider that, that though you, you've decided you're going to start reading the Bible, I'll use this as an example since I've already talked about it. You've decided you're going to start reading the Bible more, and you, you plan to get up early in the morning, and you get up early in the morning, and you can't even open it because you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in there, and it's going to be so boring. It's going to be so hard to understand. It's going to be so hard to read. And there are times where you go to pray, and you feel like, gosh, I can't even feel like I'm connecting with God. Is he even listening? Is he mad at me? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with the connection. What it is, is our flesh, our body is fighting. The Bible says it's warring against our spirit, which wants to do what God would want us to do. But our flesh says, no, 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 no. And it fights us and it keeps us from from doing the things that God would want us to do. It is opposing us 
in our spiritual journey. An external opposing force to our spiritual growth, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, and we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, is who the Bible calls the devil, or Satan, which literally means the accuser. He's the one who accuses us before God. He opposes our faith and our spiritual journey, and his power lies in seeding deceit and lies to God's people so that we might believe them and forget that God has called us into new life. God has given us new life through his son, Jesus. So the devil is an external opposing force. And another external opposing force is what the Bible calls the world. And it references this here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Now, verse 3 says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why does it feel then like it's so hard to do the things that God would say to do? It's because there are things opposing us and fighting against us, warring against us from doing what God would have us to do. And one of those things is the world. Now, the world I want to take a few moments and talk about what it is, but before we do that, I want to talk about what the world is not. The world is not culture. The world is not the culture around us. Now, what we see in the Bible is that God, whenever he interacted with humans, he always interacted with them in the context of their very own culture. He always interacted with them in the context of the customs and traditions of their land. The way that they reacted to one another, the way that they had relationship with others, the way that they defined themselves apart from other people, that made up their culture. And God always interacted them with them in the context of their culture because it was what they would understand. We never see God coming in to destroy culture. We never see God referring to culture as the enemy of the church, although that's what we'd like to say. And don't get me wrong, there are forces in our culture that are opposed to the church. There are forces in our culture that are opposed to spiritual growth and the truth and Jesus. But the culture itself is not the enemy. In fact, what we see all throughout the Bible is that God not only uses culture, but he dignifies it. I'll give you a couple examples. In Acts chapter 17, a man named the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, he goes to Athens, Greece. And he's in a part of the city called Mars Hill, which is where people would go, the Bible says, to to tell all that they know and learn things that other people know. So it's basically a hub of philosophy and the people who went there, the Bible says, they all wanted to learn some new thing. And so he goes to Mars Hill because this is the perfect place to present a new thing, the gospel of Jesus. And when he gets there, he observes that there are altars all around to the Greek pantheon, an altar to Zeus, an altar to Aphrodite, altars to all of these false pagan gods. And he stumbles across this one altar whose inscription says, to the unknown God. In the midst of their worship of all of these false gods, the Greeks decided that there might be a God somewhere in the world that they've never experienced yet. And if they hadn't experienced him, they don't want to make him mad in case they ever do, so they build an altar to this unknown God just in case he's out there somewhere. And Paul comes across this pagan altar and says, this God that you worship that you don't know, I know him. 
I know him, and I want to tell you about him. He sent his son, Jesus, to this earth, and he does not open up the Hebrew Old Testament to teach them because they wouldn't have accepted that. They didn't, they didn't believe that as the truth. What does he do? He uses their culture. He quotes two Greek poets to tell the truth about who God is. Acts chapter 17, you can read about it later. That's your homework. God uses culture. Jesus, when he came to this earth, was born into a human culture that had evolved over years based on the experience this, that happened to it, based on their view of the world, and he practiced the customs and traditions. In fact, we see him participating in Jewish feasts that were not part of the Old Testament rules. They weren't commanded by God, and he participated in them because they were a part of the culture of his day. So God does not reject culture. He does not hate culture. He loves it. And there are good things in culture that God would love to use. So many times the church loves to look at the bad things in the culture and say, culture is bad. We don't want any of that. And we're, we don't like this and that and this. What's wrong with you? Instead of focusing on the beauty that exists in our culture and, and using that to point people to the goodness of God. This is who God is. And so the world that is opposed to us is not culture. World actually in the Greek is a neutral word and it has neither positive nor negative connotations to it when used here in this passage. It's where we get our word cosmos from. Literally everything that exists is the world. Now the Bible, well God called the world good in Genesis chapter 1. When he created everything he said this is good and then sin came into the picture and turned that good thing into something that 1 John 5, 19 says, the world is now under the power of the evil one. And so God created the world good, but now because of sin, the world is under the devil's power, under the power of the evil one. And because of that, it is opposed to us. The things of this world, the problem with it is because it contains all of what is in this world, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad in order for it to oppose our faith. It can be something good that it opposes our faith if that something that is good takes the place of God. If whatever that we're seeking after is temporary and not the eternal one true God, we will be disappointed in the end. You see, God made all of us to live forever. He created us as eternal beings. He created us with spirits that would live forever. This is why at, at, at funerals, apart from the general sorrow we feel at the loss of someone, but there's this deep sense that, that this just isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. We shouldn't have to experience this. And that's because it's not the way it's supposed to be. God made us to live forever and then sin came in and brought death into the world and the problem when our attachment is to the world is that the world the bible says in john first john 2 17 is passing away it's just temporary it's not going to last forever like you and i will and so we love to attach ourselves to the things of this world we love to put our hope in the things of this world. We, we love to elevate the things of this world above our worship of God. We love to elevate our time above the worship of God. We love to elevate our money above the worship 
of God. We love to elevate our families above the worship of God. We love to elevate ourselves above the worship of God. That is all the world. If, if he is not first in our hearts, we find disappointment and destruction. Now, the Bible tells us here in verse 4 that while the world is against us, while the world is opposing us because we turn it into God, we make an idol out of it, we, we try to serve the things of it. While it is against us, there is something that can overcome it. And it is, in verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith overcomes the world. Faith itself is a victory. And in an age where it is so hard to believe because we're bombarded with all kinds of opinions, we're bombarded with all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of new things, new findings, new details about who God might be or might not be, all kinds of things damaging the reputation of the Bible and Jesus. And in a day and age where it is so hard to believe, just having faith itself is a victory. Just having a little bit of faith is a win right now. Jesus one day was speaking to his disciples and he told them, if you just have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, which is a small seed, if you just have faith like that, you'll see God do incredible things. Things Sometimes that's all we can muster, is a mustard seed faith. I didn't plan on that. Sometimes that's all we can muster, is just a little bit of faith. But just that little bit of faith itself is in itself a victory. So some of us, our faith feels weak right now. And our faith feels like we're hanging on to a thread. And I just want to encourage you, if you have just a little bit of faith, you're winning you're winning. We've overcome the world through Jesus. Now, the other thing about faith is that not only is it a victory to have faith, but faith is the victory in itself. Faith is the victory. To have faith in Jesus gives us the win. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the flesh. He'd never sinned. And he was born of a virgin, so he was not born into this world with the, the sinful nature, the propensity to sin. He overcame sin. He overcame the devil. I was reading this week about him being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus, after he turns 30 years old, he's baptized. And, and before he enters into his ministry where he heals people and performs miracles and starts teaching, he goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says that he went there to be tempted by the devil. Why would God send his son into the wilderness so the devil would tempt him? And it was so that he could overcome him. And on multiple times, the devil comes to him and he says things like this, I know you're hungry and I know you're powerful, so why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Jesus responds, well, the Bible says that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, he takes him to a high mountain and he says, if you just bow down and worship me, you see all of these nations around from this place, I'll give them to you. And Jesus says, well, the Bible says you should worship God alone. And he takes him to the roof of the temple and he says, why don't you just jump off of here because you know God will send angels 
to rescue you. And Jesus says, well, the Bible says that you should never tempt the Lord your God. Now, each one of these temptations attacks who Jesus is, attacks what he, what he needed in that moment. It attacked his identity, and each time he overcame those temptations. Jesus has overcome. Our faith in him is the victory, and he's overcome the world. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he dies. It's the place where he's arrested. It's a place where he and his friends would often go to pray together. And he's praying that night. And he prays this interesting prayer where he cries out to God and he says, I know what's coming for me. And if you have any way to save the world that doesn't involve me going to the cross, if there's any way this can pass, can we do it that way instead? Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And he overcomes the world by overcoming his will. Our faith is the victory because Jesus, the one in whom our faith is, has overcome the world, the flesh, the devil. Now, this is very curious to me that in verse 4 it says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. The in the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was written in, it could literally be translated, the faith of us. The faith of us has overcome the world. Now, it's really easy for, for us to, to put ourselves into corners where we're, we're only relying on our own faith. Where we're only depending on the things that, that we know about who God is. They're only depending on our own experiences of God rescuing us from, from difficulties and situations. Where God rescuing us from temptation. Where we rely only on our own faith. And what if our faith is just the size of a mustard seed? At some point, it could cave. So my faith doesn't overcome the world. Your faith alone doesn't overcome the world. It's our faith together. The faith of us that overcomes the world. Because when my faith is weak, I need your faith to strengthen mine. I need to know what, what you believe about God when my faith is weak. I have to have your faith to overcome. You have to have my faith to overcome. We need the faith of us to actually win. That's where the victory comes in, is our faith. Now this is why community is so important. This is why the church exists, is to be a place where, where people gather together and come to know one another and, and help one another along in our journey with Jesus. I like to say it like this. Sometimes we're walking arm in arm in following Jesus. Sometimes we can run together in our journey of following Jesus. Sometimes some of us stumble and our journey of following Jesus. And in those moments that we stumble, we need that person that we've been walking with and running with to turn around and grab us and now drag us along in our journey of following Jesus. We cannot do this alone. And I'll, I'll say this, um, that digital community is not real community. Zoom community is not real community. It has value because sometimes um, you just cannot leave your home. Maybe you're sick. Maybe there's something that would keep you from, from coming to church. Maybe you don't yet feel comfortable to gather 
with people. And that's okay as well. But, but here's what I'm saying this. If you want to use online church as an excuse not to come to church, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And my intention is not to beat up on anyone, but I feel very passionate about this. I feel, I feel very deeply about this. I was talking a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine, and he said, you know what it is, Joe? It's that people's commitments are in the wrong place. People's priorities are in the wrong place. We don't find real community isolated. And here's what we do. Um, we'll go and listen to a sermon or watch a sermon and check that off as our way of getting some God time in. That is not the community. That is not the faith of us. That is not the church. It should be supplemental if we do those things. I love listening to sermons. I love watching other church services. I love tuning into those things. They're very helpful and very good, but nothing replaces the face-to-face -face interaction with you guys. Nothing takes the place of that. Conversely, to just come into the church, sneak in and then sneak out and never say a word to anyone, never build a relationship to anyone is the same exact thing. It just looks different. It looks a little more righteous because you're making an effort to get out. It's the same thing. If we're not having community with other believers, we're not doing this journey of following Jesus right. And just coming to church is not community with other believers. Showing up on Sunday is not the thing. And so this is why we do small groups. This is why we try to encourage everyone, get to know one another. This is why there's a cafe downstairs in hopes that you'll kind of bump into somebody new and meet them. And maybe you have some shared experiences that you can pray with each other about and learn, learn more about one another and grow together. That's the purpose of, of all of this is so that we can know Jesus together so that your faith and my faith come together and help us overcome the world. My faith isn't enough. I need the face-to-face -face interaction with others. You need the face-to-face -face interaction with others. I have some introvert friends who say that they, and I'm a raging extrovert. Like if I have gone all day without seeing another human, I'm in bed by like seven o'clock and depressed. Like. Okay, but, but if I can be around another person, I'm like peppy and happy. My wife is like, you've met a stranger today, didn't you? I'm like, yes, I did. I, okay, but I have some introvert friends who are not like that at all. And sometimes being around people brings you anxiety. And I totally understand that. And that is okay. But here's the thing, like, we're missing out on what you have to give to the church because you're choosing to live in isolation. It's not just a you need us, it's we need you. It's the faith of us that causes us to overcome. We can't do this, this walk with Jesus alone. We can't. We can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it without one another. We have to find ways to connect with each other. And we, we have small groups available, but... Uh, no one's stopping you from introducing yourself to a complete stranger as well. I'm not 
like cracking a whip. I hope it doesn't sound like that. Jim, does it sound like I'm cracking a whip? Okay, Jim says yes, I'm cracking a whip. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I, I feel really strongly about this. Like this is, this is important to me. This is, the, this is at the heart of, of my relationship with God is, is the necessity of other people of other believers. We really do need each other. And so if I've sounded like I'm like really angry about it, I am. I'm angry that Satan has lied to so many of us and said we don't need each other. I'm angry that we've been deceived into thinking we can do this on our own. I'm angry that we've been deceived into thinking that my own understanding of who Jesus is is good enough without the understanding of other people. You know what the danger in that is? Is that if I only understand who Jesus is through my own eyes, through my own understanding, through my own study, through my own thoughts, and never have it influenced by anyone else, Jesus at some point in my mind is going to look a whole lot like Joe Awful. And Joe Awful does not look like Jesus Christ. (laughs) I have to have you. You have to have me. We have to have each other. It's the faith of us, our faith, that overcomes the world. I'm going to shut up now before I get in any more trouble, right, Jim? Before I continue on, hear my heart in this, that that the refrain over and over throughout 1 John has been, you got to love your brother. You got to love your brother. Hey, you got to love each other. Hey, how can you say you love God if you don't love each other? It's really easy to love each other if we never have to see each other. It's really easy to love one another when you're not in relationship with one another because we never offend each other. You know what the Bible says about that? In many things, we offend all. We're always offending in many ways. And the refrain of the Bible is love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, which literally means put up with one another. (laughs) Sometimes that's the best we can do is put up with each other. We can't do those things. We can't do those commandments that are not burdensome if we never have to experience one another. We actually get to grow in our relationship with Jesus through those offensive moments that grind our gears and ask him to help us love and overcome. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that um, no matter what, you love us. You love us, Lord. You, you, you see all of our flaws You see all of our misunderstandings. You see all of the ways we've been deceived and you see all of the things we believe that aren't true, Lord. And you love us no matter what. Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us this gift of your body. It's what you call the church is your body. The, the gathering of people together, the, the, the Christians, Lord. We're your body. You've given us as a gift to one another. And we need one another to grow. Or as your word says, when, when we're all working together properly, we lift you up. And Jesus, that's what we want to do. So, Lord, I pray that you will 
will show us our need for one another. Show us our, our desperation for, for knowing you better through relationship with other people. We thank you for the church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 